Macy LaGrange never saw the back of her own head. If she had, she'd have noticed long strands of honey-colored hair, with an unexpected wave in the middle and a mild curl at the ends. A hat maker would have deemed it a wide head, while a modeling agency would regard it as round. But none of that mattered to the driver about to hit her. His eyes were not on Macy's head, nor were they on her rusty blue bike with the new horn and the old chain, and they most definitely were not on the road. The driver saw the 14-year-old softball star from neither the back nor the front. If he had, he'd have spied a smiling face that lit up Beulah, South Carolina, wherever it went. He'd have noticed the sneaky glint in the wide-set eyes that broadcasted a future in better places than a sleepy town on a murky swamp sourced by a raging river. He would have swerved his 4,000 pounds of metal and parts because he'd have appreciated how others rose up in the morning with the sole intention of making Macy LaGrange smile and, if lucky, laugh. For hers was not a reticent childhood laugh, bashful in its insecurity, no. This girl, with the heart-shaped lips and ever-pink cheeks, possessed a laugh worthy of a jolly, self-assured woman, one with the confidence to decide what she found funny and what she did not and she backed that laugh up with bright, jovial eyes that danced like blue fairies against the darkness of the swamp's hungry waters. One thing the driver would have known for sure. Macy was bound for beauty inside and out because this, her innocent, hopeful stage of life, was her awkward stage, leaving others unable to fathom what adulthood might hold. They'd never find out, of course. There were those who, after the thump, nodded knowingly at the way Macy moved on to the next dimension. She flew gracefully, almost contemplatively, through the air, the tap of the car's front bumper sending her from seated and coasting to airborne and feathery in the course of a millisecond. But in her final moment, her eyes alighted upon love, and she knew it would never leave her alone. She let it cradle her like a cocoon, and she sensed that it would follow her wherever she traveled next. As she reached the descendant portion of her trajectory toward death, she knew that it would never let her down. Chapter Two Twelve years later. My tattoo burned. I'd swear a ghost was dragging a snuffed match along the underside of my forearm. Not as bad as the days it scorched me, but still annoying. I scratched at it after shifting my reluctant Subaru into third. But the sensation of fiery phosphorus on skin only multiplied. Maybe it was something besides my usual tattoo premonitions. I glanced down to make sure a family of fleas hadn't taken residence on my flesh. Nope, nothing but the design I'd sketched for the Inks and Kinks manager years ago. I'd slap down a fake ID and a folded hundred-dollar bill with only one request, no questions. Five minutes later, the biker with the shabby beard and wonky eye had pierced and tinted my skin elbow to wrist, a series of eight-shaped links in the pattern of a long, thin oval. A strand of DNA? A tribute to infinity. Who knew? It meant different things on different days. But if I stared at it long enough... It began to move, 
which is usually when I put the vodka away. I glanced up and nearly clipped a Ford parked on the side of the road. Jerking my wheel to the left in response, I almost swiped Chad Riker's blazer as it whizzed by me doing 70. High times on desolate old Pleasant Road today. Despite the 40 mile per hour difference in our speeds, Chad managed to wave as he passed, proving once again what a genial ex-boyfriend he was. Chad and I had ended on good terms, because in Beulah, South Carolina, home of Black Swamp and its assorted wetlands, you either ended on good terms or you moved. Plus, he was the deputy sheriff. I'd no doubt need him as a source for future stories. We'd broken up 11 months ago, but I still miss the sex. Best of my life, honest, raw, and pissed off. What could I say? We both had issues.